Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in a lot of financial uncertainty and strain for many people in the country. Um, employment rates have reached highs of over 10%, and the negative impacts have been greatest for women and for people of color. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. On this episode of In the Know, ACCT's former senior policy analyst, Allison Beer, talks with Veena Jayadeva, head of corporate social responsibility at Guardian Life Insurance, and Russ Kapalhuna, president of Henry Ford College in Michigan, about reskilling and recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. This conversation focuses on a recent ACCT report titled Reskilling for the Pandemic Recession and Recovery. If you're interested in learning more, I'll include a link to the report in the description of this episode. This call was recorded on Zoom, so you may notice a few brief dips in audio quality. So really excited to present to you all today to tell you about some of the work that we've been doing at ACCT and community colleges to support students during the pandemic. So as Jihang mentioned, we've been working with Guardian over the past few years now to uh, do research around what workforce development and business sector partnerships look like uh, with community colleges. Um, we started with a white paper that was a broad level view of many topics related to workforce development and partnerships. And then we decided to drill down more specifically on a few different topics. So we can researched a brief on supporting adult students that was followed by a brief on connecting prior learning assessments to workforce development. And then more recently, we changed course to address the current moment and wrote a brief on how community colleges are supporting reskilling efforts during the pandemic. Um, this was a really timely topic. As we were writing the brief, things were changing every day and they're still changing, um, but we are excited to share an overview of what was included in our paper and then I'll turn it over to Russ and Vina to you know, give some updates and talk about what their work looks like now. Um, so just some key points from the report that we wrote, um, I'm sure some of you are very familiar with these, but obviously the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in a lot of financial uncertainty and strain for many people in the country. Um, employment rates have reached highs of over 10% and the negative impacts have been greatest for women and for people of color, which are you know, large portions of the community college population as well. So we've seen federal stimulus, including the CARES Act, um, and just recently, a few weeks ago from Carissa, which provided direct assistance to community colleges and individuals. However, students and institutions continue to struggle due to declining enrollment and pending state budget cuts and financial uncertainty from job losses and um, you know, poor economic, poor health conditions, which you know, affect students and their families. So in our report, we documented a lot of the problem that was going on. And then we also wanted to ask what are community colleges doing to support adults and people who have um, unfortunately lost their jobs or are needing to find new jobs to advance in their careers. Um, so there were several different strategies that we focused on, one being providing additional emergency aid to help students you know, pay for uh, basic needs or supplies that came from 
unexpected expenses during the pandemic. Uh, we talked about focusing on the needs of adult learners, especially those who are out of work or struggling in their employment, and about the need to offer hybrid learning opportunities for students. A lot of times workforce programs require hands-on learning. It can be uh, requirements of their accreditation or um, you know, just essential parts of the learning for students, such as in health professions or in mechanical trades but colleges also really needed to focus on the safety of students in those programs. So um, emphasizing how to think through how to balance those dual needs. And on our report, we featured profiles of two colleges, one being Kirkwood Community College in Iowa. We talked about how they've adjusted for their needs of their allied health programs, which do require a lot of hands-on learning. Um, and then also the Michigan Futures for Frontliners program, which has provided scholarships to frontline workers to help them in advancing in their careers. And we'll hear more from Russ to talk about the Frontliners program at uh, Henry Ford College. So I'm gonna turn it over now. Um, first to Vina to discuss Guardian's work in workforce development and supporting students during the pandemic, and then over to Russ to talk about Futures for Frontliners and the work happening at Henry Ford. Thank you, Allison. Um, I'm Veena Jayadeva, a head of corporate social responsibility at Guardian Life. And we've been really proud to support community colleges for the past eight years. Uh, back in 2013, um, we determined that this was uh, a group of institutions that we felt was really important to invest in, um, in part because of the uh, diverse nature of the student, um, the student population that they serve, but also that community colleges are uniquely positioned to really understand what are the local needs and they can have the flexibility to be able to um, relatively quickly respond to those needs. Um, and so as a, as, a, as a corporate citizen, we want to have close partnerships, close relationships with these, with these community colleges to make sure that we can better understand what the needs are of the community, of the institutions, of the students, and, 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 and figure out ways where um, we can make our, you know, make impactful social investments. So as I mentioned, we've been investing in community colleges over the past eight years. And, and to date, we've invested over $5 million in community colleges across the country. Um, we have supported scholarships for students, small debt forgiveness programs, um, personal financial management courses, financial literacy workshops, experiential learning opportunities. And in addition to the um, more financial empowerment programs uh, that, we, that we started out with eight years ago, um, which obviously align well with our work as a, as a financial services company. We've also invested in digital career programs. So when I think about the workforce side of things, we've invested in cybersecurity, um, cloud computing programs at community colleges, as well as other nonprofit organizations. But we've also been intentional, of, intentional about supporting the integration of financial empowerment, financial literacy programs into continuing ed programs. Um, for example, in healthcare and technology certification programs, as well as um, family childcare business programs at, at community college partners. So that's something I can talk about um, later. 
But through all of these investments, uh, we've been able to reach nearly 16,000 individuals across the, the, the country. Um, I, I would say beyond these um, financial investments that we've made in community colleges, we're really passionate about figuring out ways to leverage the experience and the expertise of our colleagues to support the community. So from career mentoring, um, professional development workshops, resume reviews, mock interviews, we really do believe um, as part of our uh, workforce development programs, or as, as we like to call it, um, under, our economic, uh, under our economic empowerment programs, we really, um, economic opportunity programs, we believe in the, in the importance of honing what one could consider soft skills, but we really consider power skills in terms of supporting workforce readiness and, and navigating the job market. Um, it's one thing to invest in the actual um, upskill and reskilling programs, but then um, there are those power skills that are needed to actually navigate the navigate the job workplace, um, interview and, and, and get these jobs. So we just, we don't have a one size all, one size fits all kind of approach to our community college partnerships. Uh, as you know, each college's um, needs are unique. Each local community's needs are unique. And so, because we know that community colleges know best what those needs are um, and, and, and can partner with local industry, we really do try to build those close relationships um, to have those kinds of, quite frankly, honest, open conversations about what do colleges need? What do students need? What does the community need? Um, and figure out ways to create these collaborative solutions to support um, students, colleges, and, and the community um, more broadly. So with that, I'll turn it back to you, Allison. Thanks, Vina. Um, Russell, I think we'll turn it over to you now to share some more information about the Michigan Futures for Frontliners program and how you all have responded on the ground at Henry Ford College. Yeah, thank you, Allison. Good to see you and happy Friday. And thanks for your great work in this white paper. I appreciate it. And I recommend anyone who's interested in any of this to read it. Allison always does a great job. And Dina, thank you to Guardian for giving support for such an analysis because it does highlight uh, what I think are cutting edge ideas to do what you've just described, Mina, and that is to meet students where they are. And unfortunately right now they're in a pandemic. And this is the first time in what anyone can remember, but certainly the 83 years that my college has been in existence. This is the first time we've had a dramatic downturn in the economy that has not resulted in increased enrollment. I'll say that reverse. We, we've, we've had a de decrease in our economy and we're not going in up in enrollment, we're going down in enrollment, which for a community college administrator makes you really uh, raise your eyebrows. So uh, one of the things that Allison points out in her report is that the CARES Act did a lot to help community colleges. And this white paper was published just before uh, the Congress came back for round two, which was even better. And Allison, I'm sure you guys are thinking about whether to supplement this because the next round is gonna be even better for uh, philanthropy like Guardian to think about ways that colleges um, have an influx of federal stimulus and that we can um, partner with philanthropy to kind of boost those things for students. But one of the things that Allison pointed out in her paper was that the unemployment rate quadrupled in Michigan as a result of the pandemic. 
And at the same time, the CARES Act gave governors of every state um, around $100 million to devote towards education and really no strings attached. It was a block grant system. And as I say, Michigan got about $100 million and our governor said, well, we're gonna give some of that to the P-12 uh, dynamic, but some of it to the community college dynamic. And the way that they devoted those resources to the community college dynamic was to say, all right, we're going to go directly at a question we had before the pandemic and try to keep progress on it. And that question was the percentage of our citizens that have a post-secondary credential, whether it's a certificate from a community college, an associate's degree, or a four-year degree. And we, as the state, the governor said, we should devote some of this $100 million to students who want to attend community college and who serve the public during the pandemic. And she defined, she, the governor, defined that as from April till the end of June in essential worker categories. So I generally tell people that people that kept us clean and kept us safe during the pandemic. So if you were in a healthcare facility, if you were making PPE, if you were uh, responding to emergencies or health needs, uh, if you were candidly cleaning the streets of debris and or um, needs of that nature, those people were given the free college model. That is what we all know is the last dollar. And they were given uh, the opportunity to apply, to be eligible for this Futures for Frontliners program until the end of the calendar year of 2020. And they were given four years to go at a two-year degree in community colleges at any uh, amount that was not covered by federal financial aid, which is what we all know is the last dollar. And so this semester, this winter semester, is the first term for that program for us here at the community college. And um, state of Michigan thought that there were about 620,000 citizens that would be qualified as essential workers. And since the application period has closed, there were about 120,000 citizens who said, yep, that's me. I was an essential worker and I want access to my local community college. And I want the state of Michigan to support me in doing that. Here at Henry Ford College, uh, we had about 5,000 citizens say that that they were essential workers and that they wanted to come to Henry Ford College. And for context, we enroll about 12,000 students uh, in the winter. So um, we're happy to see that uh, of those 5,000 students that wanted to access Henry Ford College as essential workers, we, we believe we're close to 800 who have uh, enrolled in the winter term. And we're excited that this program will continue for the next four years and uh, one of the things I'm really, really excited about that um, anyone who cares about hiring and particular people like you, Zena, who are thinking of supporting us, we had uh, almost uh, 230 of those students who attended HFC, Henry Ford College, in the past had stopped out, but now are back as a result of this program. And th that's the real golden, the golden ring you're seeking is those people who had the gumption to get into college, but didn't make it through. That's where you get the highest return on investment. So this is a silver lining to the COVID cloud that this program, Futures for Frontliners, was an incentive for people who were working during the pandemic and wanted to get back into college and had done so in the past. I, I really wouldn't have told you that we would have been able to bring back people who stopped out, but this program has done it. Thank you, Russell, for sharing uh, more about your work in Michigan. I have a few questions for both Russell and Vina before we open it up to audience Q&A. 
Um, Russell, I want to start with the points that you made about enrollment, because I think for a lot of people in the community college sector, that's been one of the biggest surprises during the pandemic. Um, you know, I remember like in the early days, everyone was really concerned about a recession um, and which we've experienced, but everyone's mind went to the great recession and what community college experiences community college is experienced then, which was large enrollment increases, um, which, you know, reflected students who were out of work would needing to come back and um, get education to find new jobs. And so that helped community colleges a lot, you know, stave off some of the worst of the financial impacts. Um, what most community colleges have experienced now so far is that they're actually, you know, having large enrollment declines, um, probably due to a lot of uncertainty in students' minds around, you know, digital learning and their financial and health situation. Um, and I've talked to a lot of colleges. I think the national average is about 10 to 15% in enrollment declines, but some colleges are experiencing you know, 20, 30% declines, which can be devastating for them. Um, and not a good sign for their students who probably need education. So all that to say, can you talk more about what enrollment trends have been at Henry Ford? And you know, you've already started saying a little bit more about what the Futures for Frontliners has done to impact that, but where you are now and you know, maybe what some successes and challenges are that you're still facing in terms of getting students in the door? Yeah. Uh, your report lays this out accurately, and I'll just supplement it with the data that we've experienced here at the college. And, and for, for our guests, we're right on the edge of Detroit, on the western border of Detroit. And um, as I mentioned, our, our region saw an, a huge increase in unemployment, and we did not see the, the correlative increase in enrollment that we expected. So we budgeted to be down. We budgeted to be down 5.5%. And our two major terms where we bring in enrollment are obviously the fall and the winter. And uh, we were doing a little better than we expected in the fall. So we were down about three and a half percent in the fall, but then it spiked in the winter. Um, we're now just in the second week of the winter term and we're down nine and a half percent. So um, we have seen the, the, the decline in enrollment. And the, the one thing I would add to what you've already correctly said, Allison, about that is our demographic is one that is specifically hit by this pandemic. So here's an example of just data that I'm sure you all know are bellwethers of what, the, what our, our demographic is. Um, over 50% of our students are Pell eligible, and that's a good proxy for poverty or close. And um, by its definition, the vast majority of students who attend our college do not have something more than a, a high school diploma. And we know now that of all the jobs that are lost in this country as a result of this pandemic, you took all those jobs and piled them up on top of each other, 60% of them would be from people who had nothing more than a high school degree. So that should tell you that we're, we're supposed to serve that population because it's people who don't have a, uh, a college certificate and we are losing enrollment. And so that's a terrifying thing for me because we're not serving that, that demographic that actually needs it the most. And so um, futures for frontliners is one way to get them back in the door. But I have to say, you know, the entire country, and certainly our region is under, under shock right now. 
I mean, students who were just able to make it into our doors during a normal time have got so much going on with them. They've either lost their job, they've either been sick, or their family member's been sick. And so the only thing that colleges can do to try to go at that, we've tried it, is to reach out to them and try to remove barriers. And tuition is a big barrier, which Futures for Frontliners has stopped. And of course, the governor in this state uh, worked with the legislature to come with it after that, um, which will be a similar free college program for citizens who are 25 and older who don't have a two-year or four-year degree, and they'll have a last-dollar tuition-free process. So um, ACCT is doing the right thing, and with support like Guardian, we're going to have to keep looking at it because we still don't really know how to get those folks that we know are the, are the most important people for us to serve, how to get them back in, because we do know that they're not here now. And you, you and I know that the best place for them to progress is here at the community college. So if they're not here, where are they? And that's an ugly answer, because I think we know what that means. And we're still trying to figure that out. Thanks, Russell. Um, you brought up some good data or interesting data too about the people who are losing their jobs, how the impacts have been disproportionate among people who don't have any kind, some kind of post-secondary credential. Um, there was another jobs report about two weeks ago that showed if you add up all the jobs that have been lost, they're all among women and disproportionately among women of color. Um, you know, and I think that that creates a reckoning for the economy, but then also how community colleges respond. Um, so I'll pose this question to both of you, Vina, if you wanted to start first of maybe what that means from a national perspective on how organizations like Guardian support community colleges and their students, and then Russ, what might that might mean for your institution? So in, in the wake of the pandemic, um, I'll say that we did continue to support uh, nine of our community college partners through our financial empowerment programs. Um, but as was mentioned in the report and in here too, I think the pandemic has only underscored the fact that there are so many, um, there's so many challenges and barriers that our students continue to face, um, especially when it comes to hybrid remote learning. Um, I'll say that there were partner of our, partners of ours um, who had, they, they had already forayed into hybrid learning. So maybe they were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of making that quick pivot back in the spring. But there were quite a few partners um, where it, it, was a real, it was a real challenge. Part of the challenge was obviously the, the digital divide that um, students faced in terms of being, being able to continue their studies. Um, one of the things that we've been uh, very keen on addressing in, in some of our programs and investments is Russ, what you're talking about in terms of stopping out, right? How do we how do we prevent students from stopping out in the in the first place, which is where which was the origination of our um, small debt forgiveness program, so that um, they you know over if they owed the school three hundred five hundred dollars that we would be able to cover that for them so they could continue continue on in their studies. Um, but but the digital divide piece um, for students and for the institutions themselves, quite frankly. Um, was, was a big issue. There were so many instructors um, that had not done remote learning, that had not done hybrid courses um, that really struggled at the start of the pandemic. So these were some of the, the, the issues that were being uncovered um, through the conversations that we were having um, through the spring and, and summer with, with, our, with our institutions. Um, so this, 
as you know, is disproportionately um, affecting under-resourced communities. And so I think we, we as an institution are very passionate about addressing this issue. Um, I think we have a, we have a CIO who is a, who's a founding member, member of an organization called TechPack, which is a, a coalition of CIOs and, um, and, and, and leading nonprofits, um, leaders from leading nonprofits that, that want to take a pledge around addressing this digital divide and increasing um, representative diversity, right? Um, in, in technology, in the technology community more broadly. But I think an example of how we're trying to find silver linings uh, in, in this really challenging situation that we all find ourselves in is um, a, new, a new pilot that, that we launched with one of our partners in, in Washington, DC, the University of the District of Columbia around how do we take this remote learning not, uh, model, but provide still experiential learning opportunities for the students um, in a way that helps them uncover and address some of the challenges that they're facing in continuing their studies. So we had um, an innovation challenge, an ideas innovation challenge with the students at, at UDC uh, Community College where 130 students submitted 85 ideas around programs, products, services that uh, the university, the community college, or even companies like Guardian could think about in terms of helping them continue their studies. So it was everything from life insurance products to childcare programs, um, financial advising, mental health resources, you name it. But it was a way for students to get engaged um, and, and, and almost serve as, I would say, like a, a focus group, right? Not just for Guardian, but for the academic institution to say, are we really addressing all of the needs of the students, right? Um, and and um, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of those ideas are, are uh, sparking conversations at, at the schools, but it was, a, it was a collaboration between faculty, administrators, um, executives at Guardian, but it's only when you bring all these stakeholders, stakeholders together, I think that you can come up with those kinds of creative solutions. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that in, in the midst of this challenge that there are more opportunities like this for us to come together and really think about like, what are the needs um, and, and how can we come together to figure out creative solutions to address them? Thanks, Vina. Um, just to repose the question for you as well, uh, Russ. So you know, considering the disparities in how people have been impacted by the pandemic, what strategies and steps can Henry Ford College take to support that student demographic? Yeah, so it's interesting. It's an interesting question because we college administrators generally profess that we know what all of our students need and um, and devise strategies, uh, but we're not very good at asking what they need. I have to confess that to you. So we, we tried to remedy that in the middle of the pandemic by uh, sending out a survey to our students after the fall. And it basically was, we tried to deliver this thing like we've never tried to do before. What do you think? Uh, and the data was useful because it confirmed some of our, you know, highfalutin administrative assumptions. But then there were there were some other things that were surprises, and we tried to take that information and then uh, move it to operationalize it now. So here are the not not surprising things: the students generally don't like doing what we're doing now, uh, being lectured to and talked to through a computer. They really like the face to face. Now there's a, a smaller percentage that do like it because it's an access point, but 
for a lot of the a lot of the people who responded, it was we prefer to be face to face. And these are the students who, by the way, have made it in and are hacking through the pandemic virtually. Uh, second, they feel stressed. They feel frustrated. They have no ability to feel like what tomorrow will bring. They uh, have jobs or family that are stresses on them, either because they've been sick or they've been laid off or their families have had some of that associated with them. Um, but there was an interesting thing that I also saw was that they feel like it's worth the time. They still find the value. Now, of course, there's a little bit of false positive here because these are people who had the, uh, you know, the guts to stick it out. Um, and, and the thing that I mentioned earlier, Allison, that terrifies me is that silent group of people who we lost or didn't enroll. How are we going to get information from them? And, you know, I'm still working on that. Um, but uh, some of the things that surprised me that I really found useful was that the students really got a lot out of the ways we've, we've kind of fabricated the social connection despite the pandemic. So we do first Fridays uh, of the month. I, I sit with anyone who wants to show up on a Zoom meeting the first Friday of each month, and there's no agenda other than to talk to students and staff. And the students have really jumped in on those and talked about the way that they like and feel invigorated by even the way we have kind of put their ability to socially interact into this kind of remote distance modality. And just last, just the last first Friday, which was the first Friday of January, there was a, there was a, a young lady there who said, um, I'm a high school dropout. Uh, I never thought college was for me. I started college, the pandemic happened, but all these student services that you all moved to remote, I've relied upon them and I'm gonna stick through this for my four-year-old daughter. Um, those anecdotes are why everyone at community colleges have invested their time and careers there. And I, I guess we kind of thought that they still existed, but we weren't really sure. And you can still have those. And the thing I'm excited about is the students actually still will stick it out and will benefit from all of these support networks that we all built and talk to each other about in these conferences that we've somehow been able to keep at least either all the way there or partially there through distance. And um, this Futures for Frontliners is an example where I, I think we, we know these things, but we're kind of proud that we've tested them through a pandemic. And so we did that. And the last one I'll just say is the innovative thing that we tried, which was, you know, half of the students come here saying they want to transfer. And so we had this big grant, almost $28 million of federal money put into essential workers. And so we went to our four-year partners and said, half of these people are clearly going to want to transfer. You president of University A, you president of University B, we need your help. What about these people when they get done here? And I mean, lo and behold, one of them came to the table and said, yeah, you're right. We're going we're gonna to do the same thing, and we're going to do it with our own money. So if you can get a person through Henry Ford College, through Futures for Frontliners, and they get their associate's degree, bring them on over to Eastern Michigan University, which is about 20 minutes down the road, and they have to apply for federal financial aid, and we'll cover the shortage. So basically, they, they, they came to the table and said, we do want people, we're putting our money where our mouth is. And, and I don't know of any collaboration between a community college and a university in the country before the pandemic, much less during the pandemic that can match that. And um, these are just small examples of things that I think, you know, the pandemic has taught us to adapt and hopefully serve students better. Thanks, Russell. And you gave me a good segue for what um, my next question was for you. Um, I'll pivot a little bit. Um, you know, one thing that has been a thread of this work we've been doing with Guardian is partnerships. Um, so Russell, I'll start with you. Can you go into a little bit more in depth on 
what the transfer um, initiative looks like at Henry Ford and the importance of partnerships with your local four-year universities um, and how you see that tying into the future of the free promise of uh, the free college movement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I promise Alice and I didn't compare notes before this to set that question up. Um, uh, so let me be the first to admit that uh, community colleges need to do a heck of a lot better along with universities in, in working the transfer path. It's just gotta get better because students have told us that, that it's not as smooth as we'd like. And um, uh, we're, we, really, we really are good partners because if you look at the data associated with our graduates, even, even folks that don't graduate, that just knock off 30 or 40 or 50 credits, when they transfer to four-year institutions, they outperform the students at that institution that started at that institution. So the, the, the value proposition is great when you go to a university president and you say that because they, they want completion and success also. Well, it's interesting and, and, and an unexpected nice thing that happened, which was we could make that value proposition during this pandemic such that it actually drew, drove results. And again, it was just me going to President Smith at EMU and others, but President Smith was the, the one to latch on. And uh, he went back and, and analyzed if we took Futures for Frontliner students who are free college essential workers students that got through Henry Ford College and we brought them to Eastern Michigan University and we gamed out how much we'd have to cover for them on top of what federal financial aid wouldn't cover, whether that made sense. And it was an e he said it was an easy financial analysis, easy. And the reason why we know that that's true is because he turned around right after that and made deals with other community colleges around us. So now there's three community colleges that have that same deal with Eastern. And we're going to announce two more similar deals with universities next week. So um, how did that happen? Well, it, it happened because the federal government gave a bunch of money, not a bunch, but some money towards higher ed to the state of Michigan. An innovative governor said, you know what, we're going to drive this into helping students who probably don't have two-year degrees and worked on the front lines. And then that forced me to go down the street and say to university presidents, hey, let's do more. Let's, we, we all say we want more graduates. Let's do more. Um, and my belief is that this is probably the, the national model because there's, I mean, I'm an advocate for community colleges and I, I'm unbiased, I mean, I'm completely biased and I won't apologize for it. There's no better, Dina, there's no better way to put in resources. I mean, for the students we serve and for the economies we serve, if you put in $1 into these institutions, at least in Michigan, your, your lowest return is three. And then where if you come to my institution, you get a $6 return on a $1 so we got to start at community college, and now the next path is making it easy and transition, making it easy and seamless to transition to four-year world. And now universities are doing it. I mean, it was, it was reported in CNN that deal. Thanks, Russell. Um, Vina, what other you know partnerships should community colleges be thinking about in order to best serve their students, especially right now during the pandemic and you know a time of uncertainty? That's a really good question. Um, some of the feedback that I've been receiving from from our our partner colleges is that just across the board, there's just a need. There's there's a tremendous need for just support, and I don't mean only financial support, but there's that sense of not feeling connected. There's that sense of um, you know, with everybody staying at home and being remote, whether it's for school or for work, um, there's a need for 
connection with community more broadly. So connection to your employer, connection to your school, connection to other students, um, and, and, and to feel less alone, right? Some of the things that we are, are looking to explore in terms of supporting students is going more into the mentorship pieces, building those one-on-one -on -one relationships, um, engaging students uh, to, to talk about career exploration. Um, I'll say that, and, and, and I agree with you, Russ, that if you're, if you're looking at uh, where to invest your, your resources, right? So time, talent, um, your expertise, we, we do believe that community colleges um, are, are relatively you know, untapped, right? Source source of talent, quite frankly. So when, when companies are thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion more than ever, um, community colleges can help serve that purpose also for corporations. Um, so for me, I, I think about the ways that, that we should be supporting students more, um, more holistically during, during this challenging time. But I also think about how community colleges um, can help, uh, help corporates in terms of diversifying their talent pipelines very, um, very explicitly. And, and all of that happens through, I think, the relationship pieces. So, so Russ, when you're, when you're, when you're talking to the, the university 20 minutes down the road, right, it's that personal outreach. It's understanding what their, you know, what their uh, challenges and constraints are um, and having that open conversation about what's possible, right? It's not, I don't know, how do I say it's, it's not about putting out an RFP and getting a bunch of proposals and sifting through them and just choosing the, you know, the, the best partner, right? It's, it's about building relationships because at the end of the day, so many of us are like, we're, we're doing this via Zoom, right? Building those personal connections, even in this virtual environment, I think are key. So I think about, I think about that um, in terms of our community partners. I think about it in terms of our students. I think about it in terms of forging personal connections between our leaders, so corporate leaders, hiring managers, um, having you know, providing opportunities for them to build those relationships themselves. So they have they have their own light bulb moments of oh, actually, I have a need, they have a need. We can come together and actually come up with a creative solution. So I'm I'm excited about that. Um, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there. Thanks, Allison, um, I, I'd like to bookend that if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so I completely agree with what Vina just said about um, personal relationships, building trust, and then uh, coming together for a partnership that answers both entities' needs. And I will say to you, um, we as a community college system across the country, particularly leaders in those community colleges, we have to pick up the ball and do better with that. And the next big step for us is, and I hope somebody can solve this so we can replicate it, is to get into the boardroom and to get to the CEOs of those institutions around our colleges and say, we've heard you need more of X, whatever that is, whatever skill that is. Did you know that we're a state or locally funded institution that can build X? And I have a need as a community college president 
to get more students into my institution that can do X. Could you help me by promising to hire my students? And in exchange for that promise, I will give you an opportunity to help me build the curriculum. You can build the thresholds. What, do you need someone who's of a certain age? Do you need a, someone who's of a certain high school? Do you need someone? And let's just build a partnership and prove to the world that you actually do have the needs. You are invested in the community colleges in, in your area, and you'll prove it by hiring their, their, um, their output. Um, that is the next big step that we all keep talking about, but nobody has been able to really nail that down, at least not in my, in, in my area of the country. And um, I've been knocking on the door. And um, if, if entities like Guardian or some big employers in my region really do mean what they say on DEI, then there's also no better place to go get talent that answers the DEI question than your community colleges. Um, we have a program that's Detroit Promise. That is, if you attend high school in Detroit, any school, public or private, and you graduate, you get a last dollar scholarship to community college. There's a lot of community colleges in Southeast Michigan, but one of us have the most of the Detroit Promise students by far. We have over uh, 700 of those students and 99% of them are African-American or Latinx and they're going through our curriculum. And so what I would say to you is if you're an employer, if you're a community college president, it's on us to get those employers to promise to hire those people. And that's the next big horizon I think we're going to try and solve. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, I'll include a link to reskilling for the pandemic recession and recovery in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.